You're listening to the Trailblazers podcast, episode 61, with Keisha Smith-Jeremy. You're listening to the Trailblazers podcast, where we will explore the stories of successful Black professionals. Join us as we highlight the knowledge, resources, and tools of these accomplished trailblazers to help provide the know-how, confidence, and motivation you need to blaze your trail. And now, here's your host, Stephen Hart. Hello, I'm grateful that you've tuned in and getting set to share in today's conversation. I'm really, really excited about our featured trailblazer on this episode, Keisha Smith-Jeremy. I'm going to tell you just a little bit about her in just a moment. But before I do, I want to ask you all a question, and that is, how do you quantify hope for black men and boys in America? And to answer that, I want you to look no further than to the work of this episode's sponsor, the Campaign for Black Male Achievement, and how they invest in our nation's hometown heroes and local leaders working on the front lines to improve the life outcomes of black men and boys, their families, and their communities. Do me a favor and visit tbpod.com slash black male achievement to learn more about their amazing work in areas like high school excellence, BMA health and healing strategies, using arts and culture as a tool for social change, and Rumble Young Man Rumble, their signature movement building gathering being held at the Muhammad Ali Center in Louisville, Kentucky later this year. Guys, today's episode is an amazing and powerful one. And if you're in a corporate world, and you're ready for some great advice on taking that next step on your career journey. I think today's episode is one you've got to consume. We're talking with Keisha Smith-Jeremy. If you don't know who she is, she's the Chief Human Resources Officer for News Corp, which is the largest news and information services provider in the English-speaking world with over 25,000 employees globally. Keisha is also a Hudson Institute Certified Executive Coach, and she's the founder of Aerial View Life and Career coaching. She's passionate about empowering and inspiring her clients to create for themselves a life that reflects the best of who they are. And Keisha's greatest joy is witnessing that moment in others when possibility replaces impossibility. Without question, Keisha's insights in today's interview are going to leave you inspired, but also the thing I really enjoyed is that it's going to leave you with some practical nuggets of wisdom that you can put into action right now. So grab a pad and a pen or open your favorite note-taking app and get set to jot down some goodness that you can begin working on right now. I encourage and I ask you, please help me share this episode with your colleagues, your friends and family. Go ahead and shoot them an email that, you know, sends them over to tbpod.com. Before, you know, we get into our conversation with Keisha, I wanted to give a shout out to one of our listeners, Annette Richards, who sent me a message that had me near tears. And I just wanted to share that with you. Annette wrote a note uh, that, that reads, Your podcast is part of my morning ritual. I listen as I get ready for work. On Monday, February 20th, it was a holiday for us in Canada. So no work. And I listened. The following day, Tuesday, I opened the podcast app to listen as usual. And of course, there is no new podcast. I kept refreshing and waiting. And I said, 
come on, Stephen, don't tell me you're late this morning. And it took me a good 15 minutes to recall that it was Tuesday. You'd already made your contribution to my week the day before. So I listened to a previous recording to settle. You make a difference. Thanks again. Perhaps one day after following the example set by you and your guests, I'll be on your podcast. All the best to you and your family. Once again, <laughs> thank you, Annette, for this for this note. Uh, you know, I can't. I, I never seem to read this note without choking up. And so I, you know, guys, I know the numbers tell me I've got tens of thousands of downloads happening from people in 93 countries around the world, which is crazy to me. But I often don't know who's listening. You know, and so thanks to listeners like Annette. I'm reminded of the impact this podcast is making and it's mission fuel for me to keep pushing harder for all of us, right? All of you. And if you've not yet done so, please, I'm going to, you know, ask that you leave us a review over on iTunes. Your feedback, your encouragement are worth more than you know. And it's great for me to be able to put a name to the numbers. So reach out, let me know who you are. You know, I'm likely going to begin giving shout outs more frequently uh, for some of these amazing reviews left us over on on iTunes. I know Annette and all of you are going to be changed today by Keisha's insights on leadership. Her Also her thoughts on what makes great leaders great. And you absolutely don't want to miss her thoughts on what's distinctive about those that rise to the top and those that get stuck in the middle of the corporate ladder. So make sure to check out the full show notes. I'm going to post that over at tbpod.com. All that said, let's get set to receive some mission fuel from today's trailblazer, Keisha Smith Jeremy. Enjoy. Keisha, welcome and thanks for being our featured guest. Thank you. I'm so excited. Yes. So by the time this episode will air, we'll be just past the midpoint of Women's History Month. And I'm usually wanting to start off our talks from a place of gratitude, but I'd love to maybe put a spin on it tonight and ask you about some of the women in your life that you're grateful to have around you and those who have, you know, really inspired, inspired you. Hmm. Grateful to have around me. Top of that list. Probably this, if you ask this question to other people, I would imagine many of them give this answer. But but my mom is absolutely top, top, top of that list. Um, The older I get, the more I am clear about the sacrifices that she made. Yes. um, Throughout our entire life, you know, myself and my sister Um, from the simplest things to, you know, I recognize now that she had us in her late twenties and, um, you know, at six or seven years old, her entire Saturday was taking us from ballet to tap, to swim, to, you know, and as you know, I'm 39 now and I realized, Oh wait, in your, you know, early thirties, maybe she wanted to do other things on the weekend or, you know, or after work. And it never occurred to me when I was, you know, six, seven or eight, that that was the case, but I certainly have an appreciation for that now. Um, or to the major things like realizing my mother never bought anything new in the entire time that I was in middle, middle school, high school um, or college for herself. Wow. Um, and so, you know, just the older I get, the more I appreciate what it means to be an amazing mother. Um, and that is that's the single um you know, greatest blessing that I was bestowed. Yes. Perspective yeah. is everything. <laughs> everything. Absolutely. Yeah. So I saw you attended UVA for undergrad. Did you grow up in Virginia? 
No, I grew up in the Bahamas. Grew up in the Bahamas. Um, yes, I grew up in the Bahamas and um, and was there until I went to UVA, um, and then from UVA came to New York. So that's been my uh, geographical journey. Nice. Yeah. What would people who know you today find surprising about you as a teenager at UVA? People who know me today. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy! Um, I think. Listen, I think I, I would hope that I'm different um, now than I was as a teenager. Um, but I, you know, it's I. It's so one of the other things in terms of so who's around me that I'm that I feel blessed about is I actually have in New York a lot of my great girlfriends from college. Really? We all you know happen to at various times somehow many of us have ended up in New York. And, um, that's just, it's a group of women who I am just really grateful to have around me because exact, because of exactly that point, they, they have known me for so long. Um, and so, you know, you get straight answers and, um, authentic, genuine, um, relationships. And, uh, so I think in a lot of ways, because I'm around a lot of the, the, the folks that, um, have known me for a long time. I don't know that they would say, we always joke and say like, we're just the same. It's, you yeah. know, it's still the same. Um, uh, I probably, you know, back then I was, I would probably, maybe I lasted past eight o'clock, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I think in many ways, still the same quirky, silly, you know, you know silly person. I always joke with my wife that, you know, I think my kids will find it funny if I told them that I was a dancer, like the one that would always hey. go and party and be on the, in the center of a dance floor. Yes. And, and today I have two left feet. Right. <laughs> I was that I was that person then and I am that person now. <laughs> so Keisha, you know, you've worked with companies, right? Like the Financial Times and Morgan Stanley before your your present role with News Corp, right? That's right. Yes. Talk. Let's talk about you know the transitions and shifts for a bit. Were were the transitions in in the corporate culture a challenge for you? You know, going from one industry to another, and and what made them so challenging? Yes, I I definitely experienced. I've had a number of transitions over time, and each one of them, I think gave certainly gave me an appreciation and built muscle memory around how to transition, which mm-hmm. I think is, is such an important skill um, in navigating, you know, your own professional and in, in, in your professional life. But um, if I think about the culture at Financial Times and, and that when I was there, um, I was there to help launch FT.com. And it was the first time, you know, it was one of the first um, publishing yeah. houses that were going online, which is this whole concept of, you know, getting on the web and that was all new. That was when it was the internet. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. And so that was a brand new thing. This was in 1999, 2000. And, um, and it was a very, um, you know, publishing tends to, you know, lots of creatives and, um, jeans at work and, you know, much more casual, a pretty casual culture. Mm -hmm. Um, and I moved from that to Morgan Stanley, which is, the opposite of that, right? Suits, navy, black, gray. And interestingly, I would say my personality, um, you know, I'm probably much more straight laced in this regard. So I probably felt more comfortable at Morgan Stanley. I expected that that's how it would be at work. Probably growing up in the Caribbean, you know, you just have a little bit more of a straight 
um, straight and narrow work ethic and kind of expectation about how you interact at work. Yes. Um, so that was probably a little bit more natural for me, but what there were a lot of growing pains in my first year at Morgan Stanley because, um, it was a, at the same time, it was very, um, rules based and execution oriented and, and, you know, uh, hierarchy and, um, meritocracy. So lots of things that I could definitely relate to and were easy for me to, uh, gravitate towards. But at the same time, it was a friends and family in a weird way. It was a very close knit team, right? So people hung out after work and they, you know, just built really close relationships at work. Um, and that was, frankly, that was just foreign to me. Um, and so I found myself kind of out on the outskirts of things and not exactly understanding the culture. So I got in trouble in, in the very early days. I think it was like within the first month or so they had a department town hall and I was a recruiter and I was trying to get a couple offers out. And in my mind, it was like, go to this department town hall or get your offers out again. My, you know, my thinking is, of course, you sit at your desk and you get the offers out because that's what's the most important thing is to produce and the next day, um, my manager, you know, brought me into his office and I thought I was going to get a pat on the back for, you know, for staying behind and doing the heavy lifting while the team went to the fun town hall. And I, and he was, you know, expressed disappointment in the choice that I made. And, um, wow. and so it was, that, I think that was my first, first of all, just being, you know, straight A student and kind of teacher's pet, you know, just always <laughs> a- aiming to excel. Yeah. I, if I think about it, that might be literally the first time I ever got in trouble at work or at school. And it was really jarring for me. And mm. I first, you know, if I think back at it, I think it was jarring because I wasn't used to the experience. But then also because I, in my mind, I was like, but I was doing the right thing. And one of the things that I've learned over time, and this is I'll bring it back to this concept of transitioning cultures is there really isn't a right or wrong when it comes to culture. Mm. Um, when we talk about professional culture, it really is about culture is about these are the rules of engagement. Here's how we interact with each other. Here's how we talk to each other. Here's how we get things done. Here's how we get things approved. Here's how we fill in the blank. And um, in order to excel in an ecosystem, you have to first study that culture. You need to understand the rules of engagement and then flow with them, right? Um, and as you get more senior, you can customize and adapt and maybe influence. But when you're when when you get there in the early days, you need to first understand the ecosystem so that you can learn how to thrive in it and maybe eventually influence it. Um, and so a lot of people get stuck in, though, but I was doing the right thing right. Um, and can't absorb or understand that actually you you just have to figure out how things work here first and go with the flow and, you know. Um, and then shift from there. Right. Just being more open-minded and, and That's being right. receptive. That's right. Flexible, right. agile. Absolutely. Right. So, you know, given your experience and wisdom as an executive coach, I was hoping, you know, we could maybe share some of your insights on leadership. Uh, we've had several listeners kind of share that, you know, they'd love to hear more on, on that. And I wanted to ask you to share your thoughts on what makes great leaders great. Mm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, so this is where I spend a lot of my time 
helping, you know, good leaders become great, um, both in my day job and also, as you said, in, in private practice. And there, th- there are three things that uh, come to mind when I think about what makes a great leader great. And the first thing is their ability to create fellowship. And I think that great leaders are able to inspire fellowship because they essentially create an environment that people want to work their best. They want to work at their best, right? They want to work hard. They want to, they want to be a part of that team. And so creating fellowship, I think is about, you know, have you painted a picture for people and grounded people in a vision that they're excited about and enthusiastic about, which doesn't require the content necessarily to be exciting. It doesn't mean that people have to be making a lot of money, but you do need to be able to speak to people in a way that um, is going, it, it's essentially that you understand what motivates each person on your team. Right. And you need to be able to speak to them in that place that motivates them. And so that that's one thing is creating fellowship. The other thing I think is really about being authentic. Um, and authentic, I think, comes in a number of different ways, you know, doing what you say you're going to do. Um, the rules yes. apply to or the rules apply to you is also another way of being authentic. And and frankly, just practicing what you preach, you know, I think those are the three flavors of authenticity that really distinguish between, you know, people that people will follow to another place, um, people that people will run through walls for and people that are just your boss. And the last bit I would say is, is transparency. Um, I think a lot of managers and they distinguish between managers versus leaders. A lot of managers shy away from the tough conversations. Great leaders have built muscle around how to have a tough conversation, how to have a tough conversation and leave someone with their dignity intact, um, how to have a tough conversation and, and frankly, how to even take, you know, how to take and receive feedback as well. You know, as you talk about shy away from, I, I, I can't help but ask your thoughts on, you know, shying away from someone who is smarter, mm-hmm. you know, to, to be able to lead someone who may very well be smarter than you in many yes. ways, yeah, yeah, you know, about embracing that. Uh, yeah, I mean, so, so let's make that number four. That, <laughs> that, is, that No, that's so important. And actually, you know, to me, I would say it's essential that as a leader, you are able to have people on the team who are smarter than you. Um, You know, one of the things I learned a long time ago is I am, you know, strategic thinker, I'm execution oriented, um, but I am not detail oriented. And so on my teams, you know, I've managed a lot of different teams over the last 20 years. And when I got to the point where I was able to pick my teams and hire, hire people into roles, I've always made sure that I have a right-hand person or people on my team who are detail-oriented. I, to me, I feel like you absolutely want to know the thing that you're great at, but, you know, that's your superpower, but you also want to know the thing where you need to buy a superpower, right? Buy and borrow. And I think you should enthusiastically embrace that. I think that you bring up such a good point. It's so critical that you have an awareness, but then just like, you know, go with that. Right. Not in any way should you try to um, be intimidated or absolutely, try to shut it off. yeah, absolutely. 
So, you know, what's distinctive, right, about those that, you know, as we're talking about this, those that rise to the top and then those that get stuck in the middle of the corporate ladder? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well, I think it goes back to this point of, of feedback, and I don't feel like you could, you can't underestimate this concept of feedback enough because right. um, as you get more senior, you're going to get less feedback. Frankly, you know, those of us who are women and people of color also tend to get less feedback back um, mm-hmm. because what, what I would often coach people and, and, and have them try to understand is that feedback essentially comes from a place of trust. When someone gives you feedback, they are putting themselves at risk, right, by telling you something that they feel you might be, you know, you might not want to hear or you might react you know, you might be defensive about. Um, and so it takes a good amount of trust in order to give feedback. And also, frankly, you don't give feedback unless you care about that person's uh, development. So true. So yeah. when you, you know, so when you are giving someone a, a message that's going to be tough for them to hear, you're essentially, I, I call it a gift. So I usually say the gift of feedback when someone's giving you the gift of feedback. And I think if you can start to think about that mindset of I've just been given this gift and now I need to think about how I want to leverage that gift. Right. It takes a, it takes some of the sting out of it. And, and so what I think has made me personally successful is the ability not only to receive feedback, but to consider feedback a gift, but then also to get really good at creating an environment where people want to give you feedback. So what do I mean by that? If you're someone who presents something and you might say to your team, how do you guys think I did there? You know, or the people that work for you. They listen to you on a call. You invite it, right? And they're listening to you and you could say, would you have done that any differently? What do you think? How do you Mm -hmm. think that person felt? I was actually in a meeting today and I was sharing some things with my direct reports and two of them left. And the, the, you know, the third person who remained behind, I just said to her, what do you think? Did I share too much? Was that enough? Did you, you, how do you think they, you know, and it's just a matter of let's just make this easy, right? Let, like, let's just have feedback be this thing that we do because we respect each other and we want each other to get better. Right. And so that's just what feedback is. Um, so um, I think this getting from getting stuck in the middle, many people who are stuck in the middle have built a wall around themselves um, that prevents them from getting feedback that they need or they get feedback that they need to hear, but they can't, um, see it as a gift. And so they, you know, they essentially can't leverage that information um, to do what they need to do with it. Um, That's such an interesting point, you know, because so many people have a natural tendency to be aware of what's happening around them and keeping an mm-hmm. eye open for who's trying to limit them. Yes. But yet, you know, so much of the limitations we experience are ones we place on ourselves Absolutely. in that regard. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Um, and mindset is such a powerful, uh, what's the right word? I don't know, dynamic or just, you know, it's such a powerful thing to get a hold of, right? The, the ability to harness your mindset and to must, you know, get your mindset to be aligned with your purpose is, is such a critical skill. So the second thing I would say is around, um, do you know who your stakeholders are and do you know how they define success? Um, lots of the people that I work with, um, when we, when they, you know, they come to me and there's a disconnect between where they want to be and 
um, where they are today and in their professional careers and or they're having a trap, you know, troubles with their boss or, you know, they feel like they've been stuck in the role for a long time. And we do, diff- we you know, look at this from lots of different angles. And, and often it's it's around how they've defined success and the fact that they are the only ones whose definition of success is influencing how they do this particular job. Mm. Um, and so the critical questions to ask as you get more senior and you get to a new role are always, so who are my stakeholders? Who matters the most here, right? Who are the people who, when I'm not in the room, they need to say, she's doing an awesome job? And how, particularly, how do those people define what success means for your role? So you're providing them with a service, what do they think is the most critical service? How, you know, how do they define that that is an excellent product? Right. Um, and often we take that for granted, particularly if we're in roles where all of our stakeholders are internal. I think people who have roles where they have external stakeholders, they tend to have that awareness. But for a lot of us that have internal stakeholders, I think we often um, underestimate how critical it is to really understand whether we're doing the job as our stakeholders, you know, uh, define it. Uh, and the last one I would say is just low ego. You know, um, yes. I used to, I, I used to say all the time, um, that I think of myself as a consultant and people will be like, well, what do you mean by that? I say, well, I think my job is to come up with solutions and, um, a menu of options and, you know, ultimately my client decides what they're going to buy. And so I don't go into them saying this is, you know, this is the best and only way to do this. Or I don't have in my mind, this is the, you know, this is the only way to do X, Y, Z, or this is the HR agenda. Um, My clients have an agenda and I bring them solutions to bear on that agenda. And I can get a sense of pride about any one of the, you know, any one of the options that they take and I'll execute along those. I think having low ego in that regard also enables you to move around, um, and be selected, you know, to be fungible enough to move around and to be selected to do a whole host of things as opposed to being someone that people will say, yeah, you can only put her with XYZ client or XYZ situation. Right. Um, you know, Low ego allows you to be someone who ends up getting, I think, a, a multitude of opportunities. I, I love these and I love the angle and I love those, mm-hmm. those responses. Those are great. 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 You know, so one of the things with the podcast, you know, is that we we tend to learn the most from guests who are who are transparent about their roadblocks. Right. Mm-hmm. Um as a past guest, Miko, Miko, your, your friend, your, absolutely, <laughs> and how we got connected. But Miko said, you know, we have to dig for the failures, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd love to ask what have been some of your failures and, and what have you learned from them? I, so yeah, I, all of them come to mind pretty easily. The, the one story that I will, um, that I can share that I think will resonate with your audience is, um, when I, so when I was uh, back at Morgan Stanley, uh, the year before I made partner was probably the toughest, um, most challenging year um, in my, you know, 13 years there. Mm. And, um, you know, as you move up that ladder in particular and, you know, when you kind of know that you're going to make partner, it's a stressful, stressful time. Um, but that year, at the end of that year, uh, my boss came to me and basically said, you know, we've gotten, a, we've had a lot of, um, 
you know, challenges this year. We have had a lot of complaints from clients. I mean, it was just all of this feedback that was, um, as I've said, you know, feedback is always tough to hear. Yes. Um, And it was just kind of like, oh, my God, this is this is a year that I'm supposed to be moving up. Right. And what I'm hearing is all I can hear is basically you're it's never going to get promoted. And right. It's, right. It's not happening then now. And I also would say it's never going to happen. Right. <laughs> um, and I, I mean, it was really devastating. You know, there was conversations about, well, maybe we'll split your role in half or maybe we're going to bring someone in more senior over. I mean, it was just, all, you know, just hearing that all at once. It was pretty devastating. I remember going home and just like, you know, bawling my eyes out that night. And, you know, the next day I went and had a conversation with a mentor and just said, here's what I heard. This is the feedback that I got. Can you just help me make sense of it? Right. Tell, you know, this is what I'm hearing. Tell me what you think I should be hearing. What am I what am I missing? And he said to me, you know, one of the things that I have observed about you is that you take the ball almost all the way down the field before mm. you look. Yeah. Before you look back. Um, and ask for help. And I said, well, I, I don't, I ask for help all the time. I feel like I, I, you know, he said, yeah, you'll ask for help when you start to recognize that, you, you know, have control. <laughs> yes, exactly. When you feel like, oh, wait a minute, something, you know, he said, but let me share with you that I talk to my boss probably six times a day. Wow. And I will say to him, Hey, I'm about to make this phone call. Um, this is what I'm thinking of saying. What do you think? Um, or I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna about to go make this presentation. I'm thinking about positioning it this way. What do you think? And he said we talk often. He said, you know, and I remember when I managed you, you would essentially come to me when you feel like something's going wrong, but you you don't you wouldn't leverage me as a thought partner necessarily. Wow. And and that was that was true. Um, and the other thing he said to me was, you know, if something is keeping you up at night your boss should be aware of it as well. Um, and certainly it's not that every little thing that you're worried about, you need to put it on your boss's radar and have, you know, and have them worried about it as well. But what he was basically pointing out to me was, you know, in all things, there are extremes and there's the middle. And you want to just understand how, while it might be great for you to be, you know, autonomous and independent and, you know, um, great work, work ethic and all these things, but there are places where you could be that to the extreme. Right. And it was, especially as a a woman of color, it was, I think, liberating for me to hear from a white male that he was talking to his boss and asking questions six times a day, because I don't think before he said that to me that I actually, a, I don't think I understood that senior people actually talk to, to each other all the time. I think I thought, the more senior you get, the less questions you should be asking of your boss. Mm. Um, when in fact, the more senior you get, the more risk there is. Right. Right. You're dealing with higher risk issues. You're dealing with issues that can impact your company on a larger scale. And you shouldn't be going it alone. So that that is something that um, I am really glad that I learned that lesson when I did because frankly, the stakes have only gotten higher as yes. I've gotten more senior. And, um, you know, today in, you know, in, in, at News Corp, I talk to my boss all the time about any number of things 
And I tell my team all the time, and we had a conversation today and I was like, Hey guys, we're going to, we're going to do this together. You know, we're going to, I said, there's no question that's too, um, too small. You know, the buck doesn't have to stop with you and it won't stop with me. If I don't feel sure about it, I'm going to talk to my boss. So it, it is, I think often we hold on to things because we think we still need to prove that we're smart. Right. And again, as you said in the beginning, that's a story that you're telling yourself. Yes. Um, yes. And that's and that's a that's a story that keeps you trapped and keeps you small and actually keeps you junior, uh, keeps you coming off as junior, as opposed to if you um, embrace the fact that, of course, I'm smart. Otherwise, I wouldn't be in this role. Of course, I'm senior. Otherwise, I wouldn't be in this role. And so I should be interacting with my senior colleagues from a place of, you know, truth and authenticity. It just opens up a whole lot of different options for you. Yes. Yeah. As you touch on this, I mean, the value of that advice from your mentor, you know, and it sounds like this is no a mindset for you as to how you you also uh, encourage your reports to absolutely to have that relationship. Let's talk about your thoughts on the value of mentorship and maybe also sponsors. Sure. Yep. Um, supremely critical to have both in your corner. Um, mentors obviously are the folks who are, you know, probably slightly more senior than you, um, maybe have been in some of the roles that you've been in. Um, and you leverage them to bounce things off of They are thought partners. They can give you advice. And I certainly for the entirety of my career have leaned heavily on mentors um, I've sought them out. Um, people have sought me out. I've, I've, you know, met people that I found impressive and basically said, Oh, you're taking me under your wing. Right. right. Um, and so I'm a big believer in mentors, um, and, and frankly spend a lot of time, a lot of my personal time giving back in that way as well. Um, sponsors though, are a little different in the sense that the sponsor is someone who can actually, get you the next job, right? So that's someone who you're not always going to, you can leverage them for advice, but actually in this case, this is a person who you want to go to with some of the answers. This isn't the person that you let it all hang out and say, I have no idea what I'm going to do. I don't know. You know, that you can do with a mentor, with a sponsor, you actually want to come to them with, this is who, you know, this is where you have your, um, what do you call it? Game face, right? <laughs> you bring, you, you bring your, you bring the A game, yes. um, you know, the full package to the sponsor. Um, and, and a sponsor is someone who can actually make things happen for you. And that I would say is also supremely critical to have as you become more senior to have people who are in the rooms that you want to be in, uh, mm-hmm. who know who you are, who know your reputation, who know what you want to do next. And this is critical because so many of us, don't tell anybody what it is that we want to We're do. Trying next. to move, right? Yeah, yeah. We don't tell anyone at all what what's what's on our, you know, what would make us uh, thrilled to to do next or to experience next or what we're open to um, or that we're ready for change. Uh, a lot of us take the approach of just keep doing what you're doing and and it's going to just happen. You really do need to put your hand up, at least make someone aware. Um, and I think someone's aware that, that you're up for the next thing. And again, um, leveraging their the wisdom on, on, and thoughts on Abs- that, right? On how to get there. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if that's a good move, 
And that is, that's right. And getting advice on whether that's a good move for yeah. you and what does that mean and what would it take to get there? All of that. Absolutely. Right. I, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you two questions, right? Sure. What is your greatest fear? Do I get to hear question number two so I can think about that a little bit more? <laughs> <laughs> what is your greatest hope? <laughs> what is my greatest fear and what is my greatest hope? Huh, my greatest fear is that I'm going to come to the end of my time and I still will not have lived up to my full potential mm. um, because I really still don't feel like I have. Um, I feel like I have uh, more in the tank. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I have more in the tank. I have unexplored, you know, creativity and dreams, things that I I would still love to be able to, there's this, um, quote by, uh, Rumi, the philosopher, it says, basically your soul will remain restless until at last you paint all your colors on the sky. Mm. And that's how I feel. I don't think I've painted all my colors on the sky yet. So that's that little fear I have inside of me. Um, and that's what pushes me to just explore, you know, that's why I opened the coaching practice you know, there's, you know, all the, all the gifts and talents that I have, I want to make sure that I, um, frankly, you know, pay tribute to them by, uh, actually making something of them. Mm. Uh, my greatest hope, my greatest hope is that I come to the end of the road with, um, a sense of fulfillment um, with a a sense of just, you know, deep connection to family and friends. Th- that really would be my, that would be my greatest hope. That's the first I've asked those questions and I love the responses. Is that right? <laughs> I love that. Uh, so I'd love to have you maybe share some tools and some resources with our listeners before we, we wrap things mm-hmm. up. Um, I'd love to know a book that you've read that you couldn't put down and you found it tremendously useful. Oh, so many, so many. I'm such Feel free a to share a couple. <laughs> yeah, I'm such a bookworm. I'm, I'm looking on my bookshelf as we're talking because there are just so many. Um, So for people who are thinking about, you know, I've done a lot of things professionally and I think I want to do something, but I don't know what it is that I want to do. There's this book called Working Identity, and I love it because it actually helps you think about all the things that you're great at and all of your interests and helps you actually map through how you can experiment to figure out if certain um you know, what paths might be of interest to you. And, um, and I love that it's a practical, practical book, right? Mm. So it actually gives you exercises. So that's called working identity. Um, who's the author of that book, you know, and the author of that book is, that is Herminia, H-E-R-M-I-N-I-A, Ibarra, I-B-A-R-R-A. Okay. Awesome. Yep. Um, and, and then, you know, kind of on the Maybe other end of the spectrum, there is, I'm a huge fan of Brene Brown Hmm. um, and her, there are two books that she has. One is called The Gifts of Imperfection and the other is Daring Greatly. She has a ton of books, but these two books in particular are just absolutely amazing, absolutely amazing books. And essentially the premise is all about, you know, really getting to understand who you are as a person 
um, what the things are that you, you know, where are your blocks? What are the things where you put up your walls and how you need to kind of do that self-work in order to be able to move forward? Um, so those two. And then the last one is uh, Crucial Conversations. Mm-hmm. This one for sure, um, a great book. And it is all about what it says, crucial conversations, but both, I would say, professionally and personally, it's a skill that many of us, um, we take for granted that it is a skill. That's really what I want to say here. Having a, having a tough conversation requires, like anything else, practice. Yes. And the, the foundation of this book really is about um, – a couple of things. One is, you know, you need to start with yourself. So before you're about to have a conversation with someone that's tough, you really want to think about what's my role in this? What is it that I want from this relationship at the end of this conversation? And what is it that I'm willing to, what's the part of this that I'm willing to own? So you start Hmm. with you and then you make sure that you're creating an environment by, with your words that is going to put the other person you know, at ease and that, and that actually helps them to understand what your intentions are for the conversation. Um, and I've used, I've, and it has, you know, it, it basically takes you through these steps that enable you to write a script for the various situations. So I've used it a ton in my personal life. I've used it in my professional life. It's a really, really great book. I'm excited to get, (laughs) it's crucial conversations. That's a really good one. And these are great books. Yeah. Yep. What's an app, software, or tool that you use every day that you can't live without? Hmm. Um, you know what's a, I don't use it every single day, but I'm a big fan of LinkedIn, and I think people maybe underestimate its usefulness. Yes. Obviously, because I grew up as a recruiter, um, and so we were kind of like the, the guinea pigs of LinkedIn when it first started. Um, so I've been using it for a long time, but I recently actually was reading a book that I was really interested in. And I said, you know what, I would love to talk to this author. So I looked her up on LinkedIn and was able to direct message her and, um, uh, and thinking about engaging her for a a particular assignment. But, you know, in the, in the age of connectivity that we live in, um, LinkedIn is a, is an awesome tool to be able to figure out who's where and who's working at a place that you know that, you know, a place that you might want to work at. Who do you know who's already there? What degrees of separation between you? You know, it's really a fantastic tool that I think people don't um, leverage don't nearly leverage, enough. Yeah, exactly. nearly enough. Um, but I, you know, I answer people reach out to me all the time with inquiries. I answer all of my email, uh, my, you know, LinkedIn message inquiries that I get. I've, I had a woman, a head of HR in Brussels reach out to me recently because of an issue that they were working on. And she realized that News Corp had done something similar and she just direct messaged me and we, you know, ended up having a call and chatted. So it, it can connect you, um, so quickly to people all over the world. It's an incredible, incredible tool. Yeah. So, Our last question for today. Yeah. What's one thing our aspiring trailblazers should put into action this week to help them blaze their trail? 
I would say um, oh, that's if there's one other book. <laughs> it's, called the, it's called the one thing. <laughs> so I had to mention it because I can't I can't steal it. I can't steal it without um, referencing it. Um, but this it, I would say that the concept essentially is, you know, don't try to do 10 things. Pick the one thing that yes. really matters. Yes. And I'm a big believer in that. Um, I, you know, always have a goal in mind and I just pick one thing to change that's going to get me closer to that goal. And I don't do anything else until, I, until I've done that one thing. So the, um, the book along that line that I read probably about five times mm-hmm. uh, is Essentialism yeah. by Greg McKeown. Yep another great book along that same same kind of mindset. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's so easy to get overwhelmed when you want to achieve something big Yes, and you want to do something that you've never done before. It it feels so huge and so far away. And it's like, okay, this week I'm just going to make that one phone call. Mm -hmm. That's it. You know, just put that on your list. And so, you know, I think commit to doing one thing every day that is in honor of whatever that big dream is that you have and not let a single day pass without doing one thing in honor of the dream. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Love yeah. it. Cool. Thank you so very much for being our Thank guest on so the much. podcast. I really appreciate all your wisdom. As you spoke about that fear of, you know, being concerned that you wouldn't get everything out. I have to tell you, you have wisdom beyond your years. And oh, I'm so kind. Y- you yourself need to get a book out. <laughs> I'm going to put that challenge out there to I, the world. You know what? You're not the first to tell me that. So, so, so now the universe is echoing. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yep. I really appreciate this conversation. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for the, the outlet and the platform for so many of us to be able to share wisdom, insights, challenges. Um, I think this is how we learn and, and, and grow. And so thank you for being a, a vessel for that. You're welcome. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Trailblazers podcast. I'll be posting links to all of today's book recommendations and links mentioned on our show notes page at tbpod.com. If today was your first time listening to the Trailblazers podcast, I just want to extend a warm Trailblazers welcome to you. We're so happy to have you here and we encourage you to go ahead and hit that subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. Go ahead and browse through some of our past episodes to keep the knowledge flowing. If you're a fan of the podcast and today's content and you're maybe already subscribed to the podcast, please continue to share and invite your friends, your family, your colleagues to listen to an episode that you think might impact them most. We believe that someone listening to these inspiring stories will be moved to make significant changes that will have generational impact for many others, both now and well into the future. Don't miss next week's episode. New episodes are released each and every Monday by about 5 a.m. Eastern. Trailblazers, jump off this podcast today. Go find a way to rise above, go way beyond, and keep blazing your trail. Cheers.